Patty's got to be a mind reader because before she came and started talking, I was looking at that picture of that man kneeling at the cross. And uh, I was sitting here thinking, oh, God, please don't let me blow it today. And I want to tell you what I mean by that. Number one, there's my last year in college, I uh, attended a church in Somerville, South Carolina. It was a very large church for a little small town, and the minister had been there for 30-something years, believe it or not. He was not what you'd call a real dynamic preacher, but everybody loved him because they knew where he stood. He trusted Christ, had been called by him, and wanted to serve him and serve the people of that church. But I remember he gave a devotional for the ministerial students, and he said, Fellas, one of the greatest sins that a minister can commit is a sin of boredom, of being a boring speaker, of not having anything to say, of not saying it from the heart, not saying it with conviction. That devotional has never left my mind, and I can tell you that not every Sunday, but many Sundays before I stand before you, I wonder, is this going to be a boring sermon? And I also wonder, will I blow that chance if someone is here that, that is searching for Christ? Will I blow the chance to present the Lord Jesus in a way that they can truly understand that Jesus gave himself for them and that Jesus loves them and will save them if they'll trust him? And I also fear sometimes the chance that we have together that we would not let the Word of God speak their hearts. You know, I believe that one of the greatest disappointment, disappointments for God is undeveloped Christians and unnourished Christians. And I find that unless we're very, very careful and we're very sensitive to the Spirit of God, that we can come and sit and read and hear the preaching of the Word of God and walk away and not have, and not have any effect on us. And that worries me. And I'm speaking about myself as well as you. I pray that God will speak this day through his word. We're reading some of the most beautiful scripture that the Apostle Paul was inspired to write. I cannot tell you personally what Romans 8 means to me. And I pray that I can pass on to you what Paul is sharing. I pray that if you are here and you've not yet trusted Christ as your personal Savior, I don't know if I'm going to get to it or not, but Paul beginning... Uh, in verse 31, asks several questions and is trying to help people understand that, folks, God loves us. And when he loves us and we give our hearts and lives to him, there's nothing that can break that love or break his fellowship with us except our own personal sin. Satan wants you to be lost and to stay lost as a non-believer, And Satan wants us as Christians to not grow and be nourished through the word of God and to be silent when we leave this place. But that's not God's will. So I just pray today that I'll stop thinking and I'll start preaching. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you these moments ahead. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would take the word of God and speak to every heart here. For those that have not yet trusted your Son as Savior, Father, please embrace them and wrap your arms around them. May the Spirit of God convict them of their lostness, but may the Spirit of God also convince them that you died on the cross to set them free from sin 
and to give them a right relationship with the Heavenly Father who created them. And Father, may the Holy Spirit also speak to the hearts of each one of us that are born again believers. Oh God, remind us of how great your love is for us and how great a God you are and how great a mission you have sent us upon, not only as a church, but as individual believers. Oh Jesus, be in our midst these moments and bless and speak. We give you this time, and we ask this prayer in your name. Amen. This is the third Sunday that we've been looking at what God the Father and Jesus desire to do for us. The scripture is going to be on the overhead, but I hope that if you've got your copy of the scriptures that you'll open up to these verses, and I hope that you'll follow along. The verses on the overhead are in the Living Bible. And I'm going to make some comments about the verses as we read them, and then we're going to pick up where we left off last week, okay? Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 29. From the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and all alone he knew who would should become like his son. Now, we've mentioned this several times. I believe that that is God's goal for our lives as believers, that we should become like his son so that the son would be the first with many brothers. Verse 30 is one of the most important verses in in this section of Scripture. In this verse, Paul tells us that God has done at least six things for us through Christ. And we're going to mention these later, but let me point them out. And having, number one, chosen us, number two, he called us to come to him. And when we came, number three, he declared us not guilty, Number four, he filled us with Christ's goodness. Number five, he gave us right standing with himself. And number six, he promised us his glory. And listen to what Paul says in verse 31. What can we ever say to such wonderful things as these? And beginning with verse 31, Paul begins a series of questions and answers. Answers that Paul is led, I believe, by the Holy Spirit of God to give, and also Paul answers these questions from his own personal experience with God. Listen to these questions. What can we ever say to such a wonderful things as these? If God is on our side, who can ever stand against us? Since he did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, won't he not also surely give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Now, folks, I want to point something out, verse 33. I hope we're going to get that far. Probably won't. Who is the great accuser? It's Satan. And when we get to this verse, you're going to understand that Satan's always accusing us before God. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ to save you, you know what he's saying to you? He's saying, you can't ever be saved. You're unworthy to be saved. Maybe there's something in your life, some sin that you're having difficulty with, and Satan's going to say, you can never get over that sin. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? And Paul says, well, God. And then he answers, no. He is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ And again, he says, no, for he is the one who died for us, came back to life again for us, and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God. And folks, look at these last six words, pleading for us there in heaven. 
Folks, what a beautiful picture that the very Son of God sitting next to the Father in heaven is pleading for you and I. Folks, I want to tell you, there have been some days that I just wanted not only give up ministry, but just give up on life. And I'm reminded of what Paul says. Jesus Christ knows our burdens, our needs, everything about us, and he is pleading for us there in heaven. Doesn't that give you some comfort and some encouragement? Verse 35, who can ever keep Christ's love from us when we have trouble or calamity? Now think about whatever you're dealing with right now and just write that in somewhere in these verses. When we're hunted down or destroyed, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? If we're hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? And look, for a third time, Paul answers his own question by saying, No, for the Scriptures, for the Scriptures tell us that for his sake we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We're like sheep awaiting slaughter. But despite all this, feel defeated sometimes? Listen to verse 37. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced, listen to this, I am convinced nothing can ever separate us from his love. Paul is going to say this twice. Nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. Life can't. The angels won't. All the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. And look at this next sentence. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow. How many of us are trying to live a day ahead, a week ahead, a month ahead, a year ahead, and we're worried about all these things coming in our direction? I am terrible about this. I don't practice when I preach, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. But Paul says here that whatever our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, where we are high above the sky and the deepest ocean, Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. In the last two messages on this, we pointed out there are three areas that God wants to work in our lives. And folks, I'm praying. I don't have the sermons ready yet, but I promise you that when God kind of said, Herbert, this is what I want you to share with the people, that this was the direction he wanted me to go and I hope for us to go. Number one, we need to look at what God the Father and Jesus desire to do for us. And secondly, what God the Father and Jesus desire to do in us. And thirdly, what God the Father and Jesus desire to do through us. Folks, let me point something out. God cannot begin to work in us and through us until we understand what he has done for us and what he wants to do for us. And folks, it's kind of like dominoes falling into place. When you and I, I believe, understand what the Word of God is teaching us about what God has done for us, then He can work in us, and then He can do things through us. In Romans 8, verses 30 to 39, Paul reveals what God has done for us in and through Christ. And in these 10 verses, Paul uses the personal pronoun, us, 26 times. And again, folks, we started looking at verse 30 last week. Remember? Uh, there's six things that Paul says in verse 30 that Christ has done for us. And I'm just going to mention the first three. We got through those, and we're going to jump into the sermon on number four, okay? First of all, Christ has chosen us. Christ has chosen us. Tommy Jean, if you'll go to that next. There we go. Christ has chosen us, and we've already talked about that. Secondly, Christ has called us to come to him. Now, again, get the picture. 
The Lord Jesus wants everybody saved, none to perish, none to be lost. And so what does he do? He calls us to himself. And when he calls us to himself and we're willing to repent of sin, we confess our sin to Christ, he declares us not guilty. And we ended up on that last uh, Sunday morning at the 830 service. Remember, the penalty and wages of sin is what? Death. That's Romans 6, 23. But in Christ, our sin are taken away. Jesus takes our sin and our penalty upon himself. And folks, this morning we pick up with the fourth thing in verse 30 that Paul says that Christ does for us. Look at this. He fills us with Christ's goodness. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Aren't all of us as believers, or even as non-believers, tempted to believe that we can't live up to Christ's standards? Some people will say, I can't become a believer because there's so many things that I'm doing now that I know is wrong. Folks, let me tell you something. On our own, we cannot live up to Christ's standards, but with Christ living where? In us. We can. And folks, look at how Paul words this. We are filled with Christ's Goodness, And one of the great examples of this is found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And folks, just look at this verse again. I know we mention it so often. But folks, Paul saw the key of living the Christian life. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now think about this for just a second. We know that Jesus was crucified, which means that he was put to death. Physically, he was put to death. But what is Paul talking about here being crucified with Christ? He is talking about a spiritual crucifixion that goes on in the believer's heart. He describes this in other places in the New Testament where we put to death the things of the old man, the things that we did before we trusted Christ as our personal Savior. And we have become a new creation in Christ. Remember again what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But listen to what he says. I've been crucified with Christ, and then I would just encourage you to highlight, underline, put, just strike out the importance of how this, this next phrase is. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Folks, you and I cannot be filled with the goodness of Christ until we obediently yield to him and to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we yield to him in obedience, as we give our hearts and lives to the Holy Spirit's leadership, guess what? It is no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. Is that not amazing? But folks, it is a simple biblical fact. And folks, so often we walk around thinking, I can't do this for Christ. I can't do that. He doesn't ask us to do it except through his power and through his living in us. Folks, this is powerful stuff, not because I'm standing here saying it, but because it's the word of God and it's what Paul saw. And folks, let me point out again, and these, this will actually become the second series of what Christ wants to do in us. Look at what, when we are crucified with Christ, and it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us, and the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, then this begins to happen in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. You've heard these verses many, many times. 
In these two verses, Paul gives nine fruit of the Spirit of God. And folks, I think, and, and please notice again, it's in the same book, the book of Galatians, that when Christ really gets in control of our hearts and of our lives, at least nine things are going to begin to happen. And, and look at these, very simply put, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no law. You've heard those verses so many times, I hope they don't lose their importance and their power. I rediscovered this past week, I was mad about something. And, and I've told y'all before, and, and I know maybe some of you don't believe it, just ask my wife and my youngins and my granddaughter, okay? I can get mad. I can go from angel to demon real, real quick if you push my wrong button. And I, 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 it's kind of hypocritical, I'm sure, but I try and hide that from the church people because I know if I get mad at some of y'all, y'all have me fired and I need this job, all right? Are y'all still awake? Hello? <laughs> but you know what? When Christ gets a hold of our life, one of the first things that happen is we begin to what? Love others the way that Jesus did. And folks, I am convinced. I am convinced that the way that the church will win the world to Christ in the decades to come. And I don't want this to sound like I'm being negative, but as more and more people choose not to come to church, you know how we're going to win them? Will it be through powerful sermons? Will it be through powerful Sunday school lessons that they never come in here? And I'm not trying to be ugly in saying that. How will we win people to a knowledge of Jesus Christ? It will be as Christ's love fills our hearts and overflows from us, and we begin to love others. Amen. Do you see what God is trying to do? Thank you for coming to church, and I hope you'll continue to be faithful, and I hope God will bring more people into the body of the fellowship. But, folks, God wants to fill us with his goodness. Amen. And it happens... As we deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him daily, and as we are crucified with Christ and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. Isn't that, isn't that such a profound principle? But isn't it so simple? Stop trying to live for Christ on our own. Let Christ live in us and through us and let the Spirit of God take control. A fifth thing that Paul says in Romans 8.30, Christ gave us right standing with himself. Right standing. He gave it. You know, the gift of salvation is truly an act of God's love. Unconditional love for us. Let me ask you something. What qualifies us to enter into heaven? That's a good question, isn't it? Who we are, church membership and involvement, Religious works and activities. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. I'm not trying to put you down or me down. I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with church membership involvement or religious works and activities. But let me point out what the Scripture says. Look at Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. Our iniquities like the wind take us away. What is Isaiah trying to say right there? You know what I believe he's saying? Even on our best days, our righteous deeds in comparison to the holiness of God is like filthy rags. 
And that's a translation in the New International Version and in the King James. And let me read this verse in the Living Bible, and please just listen to the Word of God, okay? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we put on our prized robes of righteousness, we find that they are but filthy rags. Let me point something out. It's very humbling for all of us. With everything that we do for the Lord Jesus Christ, in comparison to the holiness of God, we are like filthy rags that would be discarded. But listen to this. Christ has given us right standing with himself. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Listen to these verses. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be desired, devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Folks, listen, you and I need to understand that we're made righteous before holy God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to John 1.12. And again, a familiar verse. But all who received him who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Folks, access into the grace of God, membership in his family comes not simply through joining a church or being baptized, but it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me point these verses out in Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 through 9. And you've heard these verses before, but the Apostle Paul is trying to tell people who were relying upon their own good works of getting into heaven. He is trying to point out the change that brought, was brought in his life when he trusted Christ and met Christ. And folks, listen, I believe these verses are like Paul's man-made religious resume. Before he trusted Christ, this was his resume that he would hand to God and say, God, you ought to let me into heaven. And I think in a sense, in his arrogance, God, Paul might have said, God, you need to give me a throne beside yours. That's how, how good I've been. But listen to what Paul says. Just follow along and he's going to give seven things that he was banking on to get him into heaven in verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. Circumcised on the eighth day, and that might not mean much to you guys, but... To the Jew, that was a sign of their heritage. Circumcised on the eighth day. Secondly, of the people of Israel, he was born a son of Abraham. Number three, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, a very important tribe. He calls himself a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. And folks, you and I know that the Pharisees were some of the most outwardly religious people of that day as the zeal, a persecutor of the church. And listen to what he says in the latter part of verse 6, as to righteousness under the law blameless. Now listen to what he's saying here. There would be no one who could say Paul was a bad man because he followed the law, the teachings of the Old Testament to the letter. But listen to what he says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And listen to this. Listen to this. And count them as refuge in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And listen to this next expression in verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own. Now, folks, let me stop right there for just a second.
When you and I stand before Almighty God, and the Scripture says that all of us will, each one of us shall give an account of himself to God, how will we stand? Will we say, Lord, look, I did all these things for you. I was a member of the church. I attended, I prayed, I read my Bible, and that should allow me entrance into the heavenly kingdom. But Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul thought that by the, his own estimation of himself, he thought God would see him as the perfect man. But Paul would write in Romans 3.23, what did he write? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And let me read this verse to you, Romans 3.20. Paul writes, for no human being will be justified in his sight by works of the law. Folks, listen, if Paul could not get into heaven by his good works and he thought that he had done every good work imaginable, how about you and I? How will you and I get into heaven? Let me remind you of the six things that Paul has said in verse 30. Let me remind you all, and then we'll close, okay? How do we get into heaven? Verse 30, Christ has chosen us. He has called us. He has declared us not guilty. He has filled us with Christ's goodness. He has given us right standing with himself. You see, entrance into heaven is not something that is man-made. It is God-given. It's God-given through his Son. Why spend so much time on this? Folks, it's so important to understand that God has provided the way. And the way is Jesus. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And it's a free gift. Thank God for all the righteous works that many of you do. But folks, that's not the passport to heaven. It's a personal relationship with God through Christ. But folks, I want to tell you about that personal relationship with Christ. Folks, that is where the love of God is given each and every day through us. As the Lord Jesus walks with us, as he fellowships with us, as nothing can separate us from his love. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you know that love? Do you know that you've been made right with God through Christ? Or are you depending upon your own efforts? Folks, this morning, I'm just praying the Holy Spirit. I didn't get near as far as I wanted to get. Folks, there's so much more to say. I pray that you'll be here to hear, and I pray that I'll be obedient to God and allow him to speak through me. This morning, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, would you let the Spirit of God lead you and direct you to trust him? He loves you. He gave himself for you. And God wants you to be known to him and him to you. He wants you to be his child. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in these moments of invitation and decision that you would speak to hearts. Lord, I think Paul wrote these so that Christians of every generation could know that they can know that Christ died for them. 
And Lord, I pray in these moments that if there is anyone here who's not yet trusted Christ as Savior, that the, the Spirit of God would help reveal to them your love through your Son and that you are reaching out to them in love, desiring that they know your Son is their personal Savior. Father, I just pray in these moments ahead as we sing this song, Lord, that you'll speak and those that need to respond will. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Our hymn of decision this morning is a very old and familiar song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I hope as you and I sing this song, we really know him as our friend and as our Savior and as our Lord. Number 154 of Christ.